while you're finding that, I want to share with you um, some tweets. I was looking online this past week and ran into some funny tweets that were about um, people holding grudges and having anger in their hearts. And these are meant to be funny, but um, maybe an indication of a deeper problem. So I'm going to share five of them with you. This first one was um, a parent that was talking about their kids holding grudges. And the parent said, kids can't remember to flush the toilet, but if you cut their toe strong a year and a half ago, they're going to remember that vividly every time. Um, another one, when, when it was a lady that was talking about when she and her sister were little, her sister broke her favorite toy. So she said, I intentionally had my eyes closed in all of her wedding pictures today because grudges last forever. Uh, one of them was a mom, uh, or sorry, a lady talking about her mom. And this was 27 years ago from the time that this tweet uh, was posted. So 27 years ago, her mom gave her a home perm in 1988. And she said, so yeah, I know how to hold a grudge. Uh, one of them was a dad talking about his five-year-old daughter, and he asked her what she wanted for dinner. And her response was, not a burned quesadilla, because almost two years ago, he burned one side or overcooked one side of her quesadilla. So she remembered... And that is her response, not a burned quesadilla. Uh, last one was a husband and wife conversation. Um, the husband had run into some old friends at a grocery store, and he said, I ran into so-and-so at the grocery store today. I forgot, why don't we ever hang out with them anymore? And the wife said, they bought each of our kids harmonicas four Christmases ago. Do you remember? And he said, oh, yeah, forget them. So now those are funny. And I was laughing as I was reading them this week. But Jesus tells us that if we allow, like when you really get down to it, if we allow grudges or anger or bitterness to remain in our hearts toward other people, um, that's a dangerous thing for us. Um, we, if we have anger in our heart towards someone and it goes unchecked, um, that is the inward state that leads to a, an outward expression of something more severe, um, like murder is what we're going to talk about. His, his comparison to anger and murder today. So let's look at our text. If you're able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? Just a quick reminder, I, last week our text we talked about was a transition point in the sermon. And um, last week's text where Jesus was sharing about how, um, about how, there is an understanding among the people with, as they've come out of um, centuries of teaching in the Old Testament and, and obeying the law, and there is a, there's an understanding that the law requires this, and Jesus is going to raise the standard as he teaches for the rest of the sermon. So last week's text is the context in which the rest of the sermon is to be interpreted. So he gets into the first situation that he's going to take a situation in life and give some practical application. And this is what he says in starting verse 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, 
is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this text today, help us to understand what Jesus is teaching. Help us to understand the importance of that and how that applies to our own life today. Let us not be people who harbor anger in our heart or bitterness towards somebody or hold a grudge towards someone, but rather be people who are forgiving for your word not only commands us to forgive, but teaches us that forgiveness is freeing for us. And so help us to be people who are forgiving and loving and gracious in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go and have a seat. Thanks. All right, so your first point in your sermon notes. Um, first point is dangers of an angry heart left unchecked. Dangers of an angry heart left unchecked. We're going to be looking at the first two verses here, 21 and 22. He says in 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now the word, the Greek word here for murder uh, means an intentional premeditated act of depriving somebody of their life in an illegal manner. And I want to I emphasize that phrase, an illegal manner, because I want to differentiate between taking the life of somebody by means of what the law requires. So there were, there were things in God's law that required death as a result. And so that would be justified taking of life. But what Jesus is talking about here, this particular word means to do it in an illegal manner. And if you, th- if you recall from your knowledge or your studies of the Old Testament, in, in Exodus 21, God deals with someone murdering somebody. And if you recall, the punishment or the judgment for that is death. So you take the life of somebody intentionally. The, re- the, the legal response to that is that the community will then take your life from you as a result. Now, I want you to remember that the mindset of the Jewish people at the time that Jesus is speaking is that the main main thing, the most important thing, is keeping the law. And so, as long as I don't murder, I'm good, right? I'm keeping the law because the command is do not murder. Which is why Jesus says, you've heard that it was said. Um, It was what we read in Scripture by either somebody who's speaking or by somebody who's writing, the biblical um, speakers, the biblical authors, a lot of times they will give us an indication of what the audience understands or believes in their mind. And here Jesus says, 
you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, and then he says, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, which tells us that the audience understood that's, that's as deep as it goes. As long as I don't take the life of somebody, I'm good. And then Jesus raises the standard. So, in essence, he's saying to them, the extent to which you believe is that you're good to go as long as you don't murder. But he says, I tell you, verse 22, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment as well. It's not just the act of not taking a life. It goes deeper than that into the heart. And so Jesus gets to the heart of the problem. The goal of God's people is not simply to refrain from murder. It is to have a pure heart before God, which you'll remember sounds much, should trigger your mind to go back to when we started this sermon series to the Beatitudes where he says in chapter 5, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, they, for they will see God. God doesn't just want us to control the outward. He wants us to be changed from the inward out. And so the law says do not murder, and Jesus says, I'm going to tell you it goes much deeper than that. It goes into what's going on in your heart. And I don't know if you know this, but the law actually does condemn hatred toward a brother. So the people knew and understood and latched on to do not murder, but Jesus, is, as, he, as he raises the standard, um, he says it goes much deeper than that. And there's even a place in Leviticus 19, 17 to 18, where God condemns hatred toward a brother. And so it's much deeper than just the outward. That kind of thinking that as long as I don't act this way, I'm good, and ignoring what's going on inside, that kind of thinking leads to this conclusion. Like, do you, would somebody really think that they can harbor, they can be angry and have bitterness towards somebody and hold a grudge towards somebody like for the rest of their life because of something that they did to hurt them. Does, do people really think that as, as long as they don't kill that person, that that's okay? Like God, God's, God's good with the, the condition of your heart. Cause that's where that leads to. It leads to as long as I just keep this rule, it doesn't matter what's going on on the inside. God's still pleased with me. And Jesus says, that's not the case. We got to take care of your, the problem, the sin that's being harbored in your heart, the anger, the bitterness, the grudge that you're holding. Hatred and anger in your heart are judged just as murder is judged. Jesus says, you will be judged if you are angry with your brother. Then he gives a couple of examples here. Um, in um, verse, let me see, verse 22, into 22, so we're still in 22. He says, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. So that's the first one. So first of all, scholars aren't totally sure. I've, I've read a lot about this. We don't really know exactly what the word Raka means. Um, it's believed that it's probably associated with an Aramaic word that means empty or empty head. 
Um, so that's the best that they can come up with. But I think we don't necessarily need to know exactly what the word means. The context from what Jesus is speaking here tells us that it's sufficient to know that it's, it's some kind of insult that you would cast at somebody with whom you're angry, indicating that there's something going on inside your heart that you can't let go of that is being, now it's coming out of your heart through your mouth, uh, which again, Jesus tells us in the Gospels, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it's some kind of insult for somebody who's angry with somebody else. Jewish rabbis taught commonly that to publicly put someone to shame was deserving of serious judgment or serious consequence. That culture was a culture of honor, and if you dishonored somebody, whether it was your family or a friend or even an enemy, and even somebody that you didn't get along with. Well, if you publicly dishonored them or put them to shame in front of everybody, um, the rabbis were consistently teaching that that kind of that kind of action brings serious consequences because that, that was just unacceptable to do that. And so Jesus says, anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable to the court or answerable to the Sanhedrin, which is the highest court of the land. But then he says this, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now in the Old Testament, Old Testament, there Jerusalem sat upon a hill and um, as you descended the hill, there was there were valleys around it and then there were other mountains around it. And so there was a valley that ran um, around much of the city of Jerusalem. To the south, the valley to the south um, in the Old Testament was called the Valley of Hinnom or, or Valley of Hinnom. In that valley, in the Old Testament, that valley was considered detestable because of the things that took place there. They, people would sacrifice their children to the god Moloch. They would, they would form an idol of the god Moloch, and he was holding a plate, like a metal plate, on his hands. And they would put a fire under the plate, and they would heat it up. So it was like scalding, burning, red hot and they'd place live babies on it to sacrifice to this god. And they did that in the Valley of Hinnom. It was a place where they would take dead carcasses and leave them there to rot. It was a place where the sewage from the city would wash out of the city into the Valley of Hinnom. So I want you to get in your mind, or, or maybe try to get more of your senses engaged here, I want you to think about the smell of burning flesh, the smell of sewage, the smell of decaying flesh. That thought, the thought of the Valley of Hinnom to an Old Testament Israelite or to a New Testament Jew 
who knew the history, that thought would have created a spiritual dissonance within the heart of the people. That's Old Testament. By the time Jesus arrives, so now we're in the Gospels in the New Testament, that name Hinnom took on a Greek name because they're writing Greek in the New Testament, and it became known as Gehenna. The Greek word in the New Testament that's translated hell is the word Gehenna. The idea of a sewage dump where flesh would rot and flesh would be burned that once held abominations with child sacrifices to a false god. That's the word that Jesus uses to refer to hell. It had become a symbolic, it had become symbolic of eternal punishment and separation from God for the wicked, and it was understood to be the, the exact opposite of paradise. So when Jesus states that harbored anger in your heart can lead to murder and that hatred can make you in danger of the fire of hell, the danger of Gehenna, he's not speaking lightly on holding a grudge toward people. So with that in mind, I, want, I think you and I should seriously take a look at our life and think through the importance of our relationships. And we're going to get into that just a little bit in just a minute with verses 23 to 26. But we, with that understanding, with that mindset, I think we need to make sure that we are considering our relationships with people. Before we get into the next point and those verses 23 to 26, um, I, I think as he's, as he's saying you shouldn't hold anger in your heart, then I think we need to ask the question, then is it, is it always wrong to be angry? Or are there times when it's okay to be angry? And what we see in Scripture is that there is proper anger and there is improper anger. And so in your notes, I think I've got the references. Hebrews 10 um, 20, 26 to 31, I'm not going to read that whole thing because that's a little lengthy for me to just read to you, but in Hebrews 10, 26 to 31, God is speaking of his wrath that is poured out on those who live a life of consistent rejection of him. Um, in fact, those verses talk about rejecting God the Father, trampling the blood of the Son, and rejecting the prompting of the Spirit. And so, all three persons of the Trinity have make an attempt to bring you into submission to God and an acknowledgement of your sin and your rebellion against him. And when he, the Hebrews 10 tells us when you've rejected a lifetime consistent rejection of all three persons of the Trinity trying to pull you closer to God and back into a right relationship with him, God's wrath because of his anger, which is justified and righteous, is poured out. So that's an example of proper anger. Um, Romans 12.9. Romans 12.9 says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And so God gave us anger towards sin so that we would hate it. In fact, that's a, one, of the, one of the prayers that 
I frequently pray for people. I pray it for myself and my wife and my kids, but I pray it for other people as they're raising kids and that kind of thing. Um, I ask God to help me to just absolutely hate sin, to make my stomach turn at the thought of sin. So that is a place where anger is appropriate. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. And so it doesn't say, because you're angry, you have sinned. It says, it's okay at times to be angry. Just make sure you don't sin in your anger. And so there are times when it is, a, it is proper. Romans 12.19, so later in that text, that same chapter that I read, um, is an example of improper anger. 12.19 says, um, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And then verse 20, he goes on, he says, and he quotes a proverb, he says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now look at verse, listen to verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And so we have an example here of improper anger when you've allowed it to take root in your heart and to affect your thinking, and now you are wanting to be the one who exacts revenge on someone for something that they've done. And God says, God says, don't, don't take revenge into your hands. It's my place to avenge. Um, so there, is, there are ways to improperly harbor or express anger and i think here i i have up here some this is this is not in your notes but i have up here some questions that i think would be helpful for us when we find ourselves really just stewing something some questions that i think will be helpful for us to put things into perspective so the question is why am i angry or you know like what's causing me to be angry am i angry at sin um because being angry at sin can be justified as long as you don't allow it to affect you to sin in the process. Am I angry because of some sin, either in myself or in others, and that sin is robbing God of his glory? This is a big one right here. Am I angry because some sin is robbing God of his glory? It's, it's okay to be angry when something that's sinful is robbing God of the glory that he is due. But here are some more questions. Is it, the, is, it, is it this or is it this? Am I angry because someone damaged my pride? Am I angry because I didn't get my way? Am I angry because someone robbed me of glory? Someone has touched the idol that I worship, and it's like touching an exposed nerve. And I don't like it. So why am I angry? Am I angry because God is being robbed of glory? Because somebody is sinning and that's robbing him of his glory? Or am I angry because someone has hurt me? Or someone has damaged my pride? Or somebody is robbing me of the glory that I think I deserve? So those are, I, th I think, some helpful questions if you can, in the midst of stewing and being angry, if you can calm yourself enough to think through those, pray through those questions. But that is the danger 
of an angry heart left unchecked. Now, point number two, dangers of broken relationships left unresolved. Because what all that stuff from number one frequently leads to this, broken relationships and no attempt to reconcile them. He says in verse 23 and 24, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're bringing, you're bringing something to offer God as an offering, and while you're there, you remember that your brother has something against you. You've done something, and your brother's hurt and angry with you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now, the main idea here is that God prefers our heart to be right with him and with others more than he desires our keeping of the law and giving of the offerings. He desires our heart to be right. And I'm get, I've got a number of, you just have some references in your, in your notes for this point. Basically what I want to do is just go through some, some scripture references where God explains all this. But the main idea is that he would rather your heart be right than you bring your offering and keep the, the law requirements or being obedience, whatever. Hosea 6, 6. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So I would rather your heart be right, that you would be a merciful person, and that you would acknowledge me for who I am and give me the glory due to me rather than bringing a sacrifice or burnt offerings. If someone keeps the law perfectly, and we talked last week in the text about, I, I referenced a parable that Jesus told about a Pharisee and a tax collector, and the Pharisee was one who, he was acknowledging facts that he kept the law, and yet he did not, by keeping the law, did not leave justified, but the tax collector, who was obviously a lawbreaker because all tax collectors at the time stole from people and he admitted he was a sinner and he pled for God's grace. Jesus says he's the one that's justified. So if we keep the law perfectly like that tax or like that uh, Pharisee, but there is division and tension between that person and another believer, then the offering that's being brought is cheapened. It's not It's not given with a right heart. And at times God says, I don't want it. Like, if you're not going to have a heart that seeks out to be reconciled with your brother or sister, then don't bring this stuff because I don't want it. Look at Amos chapter 5, 21 to 23. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. So, similar situation here. The people have rejected God. They're not right with him. Um, When you're not right with God, nothing in your life can be right and reconciled um, because this is where all relationships start, being right with God. And God says, if your heart isn't right, then don't bring this stuff to me. I don't want it. In fact, he says, I hate it. I despise it. He says, "Um, your your assemblies are a stench to me. You might bring all this stuff. I won't accept them. I will have no regard for them. I will not listen to your worship. 
And so Jesus is pretty serious here as he's teaching them about the importance of relationships and being right with each other and reconciling hurts and division. Isaiah 1, 11 to 15, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? says the Lord. I have, no, I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Next slide. Sorry, there are three here. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. That's pretty strong language coming from God. I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of, bur- of bearing them. Next slide. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. I hide my eyes from you. That is an indication that God has cut himself off from you. Because it's in God's presence where we find hope in life. And God says, you lift up your hands in prayer. I'm going to close my eyes and not even look at you. And so when we are not made right with each other and with God, if we have, if we have hatred and anger and bitterness in our heart, then we bring an offering and it's cheapened. And God says, I'd rather your heart be right than you bring all this stuff to me. So if you reconcile then with your brother, or you at least make an attempt to reconcile with your brother, then you can, with a clear conscience, go before God with an offering, hoping for mercy to be shown you as we are all sinners. And I say at least make an attempt because you can't change their heart. And so if if there's something going on between you and another brother or sister in, in the Lord, and you go and make an attempt to be reconciled, if they don't accept it, that then you can at least enter God's presence with a clear conscience because you have tried. Jesus says, 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way or you may be handed to the judge. The judge may hand you to the officer. You may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Um, under Roman rule, it was not the responsibility of the government to summon someone to come to court. They didn't send the army to go get someone who didn't show up for court. It was the responsibility of the plaintiff who was suing the person to go get that person, and they would together walk to the court, which I think sheds some light on Jesus' instructions here. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court while you are still on the way with him because you would walk together to court so jesus is stressing reconcile your differences before it's too late reconcile your differences now lest we think jesus is not serious about this i think i think what we've covered so far should should drive that point home but if we still think he's not serious about this command then we need to know this i i talked last week about the ume construction in greek it's Two words that both mean no, and they're used separately from each other. Very rare occasions do we see in the New Testament where they're used together, and it's the strongest form of saying no, or it's the strongest way in the Greek language to negate something. He uses it again here when he says, 
I tell you the truth, you will not get out of prison until you've paid the last penny. He uses the ume construction there. If you don't put every effort you can into reconciling with your brother and it ends up in you being punished somehow, you will not get out until you have paid the price for what you've done. And so it's strong, strong language. God does not look kindly or favorably upon his children having damaged relationships. And so Jesus is stressing, fix this while you can. All right, let me wrap up here. As the, I shared those tweets with you at the beginning of the sermon, and again, they were meant to be funny. But I think it's clear from the text today that holding a grudge holding anger, bitterness in your heart is so unhealthy for your soul. There's a Greek word used in the New Testament that we translate as grudge. It's not used very often in Scripture, but it's used in the New Testament. Um, We translate it as the word grudge. And that word means to entangle. So when we hold a grudge against someone and we refuse to forgive them, we do that because we think we're cutting ourselves off from them. Like, I want nothing to do with you ever again. And we do that so that maybe we don't have to suffer again because we won't ha- we will be completely separated and cut off from them. We do that because we don't, we don't want them to try to hurt us again or we, we want to try to punish them somehow for what they've done to hurt us. But in reality, when you hold a grudge against somebody, you are actually enmeshed with them. You're actually entangled with them, and you're more interwoven into their life than what you probably were before. They have now become a part of you that you can't let go. And so holding a grudge or holding anger in our heart... um, it actually it does not do what we what it does not do what we're trying to do. It does not do uh, what the goal is. The goal is to have nothing to do with them and separate our life from them. And you actually are like making them a very intimate part of your heart. It's the very opposite of what we're trying to do. It's the opposite of what Christ calls us to do. Jesus is very serious about this. Anger, bitterness, hatred in your heart leads to other sin. Um, now, he uses murder as an example. But it lead, doesn't just lead to, to murder. It leads to other sin, other things. It leads to divorce sometimes. You cannot get over the anger and the bitterness and the hatred that you have now started feeling for your spouse and this relationship between husband and wife that is a relationship that's supposed to be one flesh and undivided for life is now ripped apart by anger and bitterness and hatred. Friendships are sometimes destroyed because of it. Think of Paul and Barnabas when we went through the Acts study. They were close friends who were on the road together and they sometimes had only each other and yet... They got angry with each other, they had a sharp dispute, and they separated from each other. Whole churches had been destroyed because of it, and the advancement of the gospel can suffer because of it. So Jesus tells us that we must make an attempt to reconcile our differences with our brothers and sisters. 
So I'm just going to say to you today, if, if you have someone in your life that there's tension, or maybe there's, maybe you haven't spoken to each other for decades because something 30 years ago happened, and honestly, you might not even remember what it was. You just remember, for as long as I remember, I don't like him, and he doesn't like me, and we're not talking. If you have a situation like that, go and be reconciled or make an attempt to be reconciled. Do it as soon as you can. Romans 12, 8, I'll leave you with this. Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So if you do that, if you make an attempt, then the offering of your life given to the Lord will then be pleasing in God's sight. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the fact that you will not settle for anything but holiness. And that seems like a high bar. It is. It's a standard we can't keep. But because you expect that from us, that means you are, every moment of every day, your Holy Spirit is trying to refine us, trying to make us more like you, trying to do the things necessary in our life so that we are um, in a right relationship with you through the blood of your son. And I thank you for that because I don't want to be the person I was five years ago. I don't want to be the person I was 10 years ago. I want to be somebody who daily is walking closer to you and looks more like you for the world to see. So I thank you for that. Help us when it's hard to not give up but to lean in more, depend upon you more, trust in what you're doing in our life, and help us to be reconciled to people that perhaps we have broken relationships with. In Jesus' name, amen.